0: Hi, this is Lisa Tamati, bringing you Pushing the Limits, the show that gets deep into the psyche of limit pushers across all genres. Out-of-the-box thinkers, cutting-edge researchers, leaders, athletes, academics, entrepreneurs and social change innovators and more. Cutting to the chase to unlock the secrets of their success, their achievements, their philosophies and motivation. Join me in my quest to find out what makes the movers and shakers of our world tick and what gems of wisdom we can take from their experiences. Brought to you by RunningHotCoaching.com, the platform that helps you achieve your health and fitness goals. Well, hi everybody out there, we're today we're with um, Nick McCloy, a very dear friend of mine. Hi Nick, how are you doing? I'm going well, thank you. <laughs> now, Nick McCloy is an amazing lady, now I've known this lady for about seven or eight years now and... Um, she certainly had a massive influence in my life and changed things for the better. And um, I dare to say, you know, we've helped each other. Now, Nick McCloy ha- is a writer by trade. She has written over 15 books. She's the author of 15, you heard that right, books. And she was my commissioning editor for two of my books. Now, Nick is uh, has a BA in politics, um, but she's so much more than that. And we welcome you to the show today, Nick. So um, let's t- talk a little bit about your background, Nick. Where did you come from? Where did you grow up?
1: Uh, I was born and grew up, grew up in Invercargill, um, but my, neither of my parents were Southlanders. My mum is from um, uh, a English-Mauritian background, and my dad was from central Otago, um, so Southland... when I was growing up was really conservative and really you didn't kind of fit in unless you were from like four generations of Southlanders (laughs) so I always felt slightly disconnected from being a Southlander which is not to say, like when they won the Ramfrey Shield I cried and I will bleed maroon and gold until I die, but there was always a slight sense of not fitting in growing up down there.
0: Yep, I can hear you. So you you sort of felt like a bit of a, a fish out of water sometimes? a yeah,
1: wee really bit of an outsider at times, yeah, yeah, and I think that that's something that's kind of carried with me throughout the rest of my life a wee bit, yeah.
0: Yeah, because we wanted to talk today, Nick, like, a little bit about your journey. Um, um, Your fitness journey, for above all, because you've 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 done amazing things in the last couple of years, and I've seen a massive change in you. But um, see, you when you grew up down in the Southland, you you didn't really like sport, did you?
1: (laughs) I think that would be the world's greatest understatement. Um, I you know I grew up at the school the schools I went to were very much focused on if you're a girl you played netball, if you're a boy you played rugby, and that was all there was. And and so the people that were really admired at my my schools were the people who were very good at netball or very good at rugby. Um, Now, I am so deeply uncoordinated I can't even begin to explain it. And I absolutely just, me and netball, no, no, no. And I I found it miserable. And I think the thing I found really difficult was that we were forced to, you know, it was compulsory for us to play. And there was no kind of, so what would happen to me was that I would, from the age of about seven, I guess, I was forced out every Saturday morning into, the, I mean, hypothermic freezing cold, um, to, to, to go and get a, basically a wet leather ball thrown at my head. Um, and I was busy trying to unfog my glasses to see it coming. And, you know, all I wanted to do was just be at home and not be in that environment. But I was forced into that environment and everyone made fun of me because I was no good at playing netball but yet I was still forced to play netball.
0: And this so had like a, a sort of major sort of impact on your on your early life then.
1: Totally, totally. I mean it just that made me feel even more of an outsider and I think you know I think now I, you know I talk to friends where their kids are just getting to their age and there's so many different options in terms of doing PE at school and stuff and, and they really let kids kind of follow their passion and I think had that happened to me, things could have been quite different. The one thing that I did love and was always good at was swimming. Right. And so, you know, I got heavily involved in sort of swimming club and stuff, um, played water polo and that. But, again, I was slow. But what I... So I kind of was never quite, you know, swim carnivals and stuff didn't really suit me. But I was always a good distance swimmer. And that's something that I've come back to now. Um, and I think that the young kids... There's not really that appreciation of of kids that have endurance rather than speed. and I think that that, that was kind of another you yes, know, that's something that I've learned to appreciate now.
0: do you, you mentioned their distance? I'll pick up on that now, um, because distance we have in common, we're both um, not yes. very fast and and but we can go for a damn long time, and that's something that yes. that did come out in your later life. and I think yeah. Um, yes. Nick, moving a little bit ahead, um, you went to university, you did a BA in politics, you're obviously a very academic lady. I know you to be very intelligent. <laughs> yeah, so I, but
1: equally, I was, um, how should I put this delicately, I was distracted by the uh, social opportunities that Dunedin afforded me after living in, in, in Invercargill. And I think in some ways, you know, when I went to Dunedin, Um, I found a group of kind of like-minded people who were quite kind of into a lot like I got really into music and um, really involved in student radio really involved in in student paper and and kind of in the arts scene and and so I kind of felt like I fitted a little bit there but at the same time keeping fit and being healthy was not part of that environment in the
0: slightest. So, you had the chance to really reinvent who you were and gain a little bit of confidence after, yeah, not not, not being a particularly confident kid. Yeah. University gave yeah. you a chance to sort of reinvent who you were, but that was more in, 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 along the lines of, of yeah, your social interactions, your academic yeah. studies, that type of yeah. thing. But yeah. again, yeah. sport wasn't a big part of, of that journey only, at that stage. The
1: only, the only, the only, part of my life that sport played in was that we would walk out to Carisbrook and go to rugby quite regularly, me and my mates, and then, and then pub crawl back into town. That was, about as, that was about as much exercise as I got, and my involvement with sport was pretty much pub crawling back from Carisbrook.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a whole lot of fun, but not, probably not um, too good for, uh-huh. for, for your health and fitness. Now, Nick, no. So when you... Um, you were going through all this. You 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 develop started to develop a bit of a problem with your your weight, yep. Um, yep. gaining gaining some weight and and yep. not living a healthy life. And what sort of effect yep. did that have, you know, on your psyche as well as on your uh, on your your body and what you were able to do? It's an
1: interesting one that because I think I I was I quite young, always for, even from very young I was overweight and I. um, and that not fitting in thing there was a lot of bullying too in in my younger years so I, I you know my confidence wasn't great and I probably I did comfort eat as a you know throughout that time and I think one of the things that I you know I think about it quite a lot now is that when you are really overweight it's almost like you the bigger you get the more visible you become because people don't engage with you people aren't interested in you people don't want to hear your story they don't want to so you know people kind of just leave you alone
0: so is it real prejudice almost against
1: well I don't know if it's a conscious thing that I I think it's just that there are a lot of assumptions that people make about bigger people that aren't necessarily true Um, you know I, I became keenly aware that people thought because I was really big that I was stupid and you know I think without sounding too arrogant I'm far from it but I had a lot of issues and I think you know um, I was comfortable with being invisible I I had my friends you know I've always been very very lucky to have a really great group of of people around me who really looked after me Um, and, and who when I really really didn't like myself who loved me enough for me to want to keep going Yep. And I think that that, of all the blessings in my life, I think that has been the biggest one, is, that, is the people who have seen something in me that I couldn't see, and that they, they you know, when I needed it, they looked after me. But what, you know, what I've, what I've found, in, and I was probably, you know, 44 now, I was probably in my mid-30s, maybe, when I was, I was finally diagnosed with depression and anxiety, and that was just such a massive, I, like I had no idea, I just thought that was how life was. So now I, I look at those years through a completely different lens. Yep. I, I kind of see them quite differently to how I did when I was
0: in it. Yeah. Yeah, so, so the, you know, depression and anxiety, I mean, that sort of leads on from your weight issues, from your lack of confidence, from your bullying, yeah, that type of it's, thing. It's,
1: also, it's, it's all a big mixture, and I think, you know, the weight thing, the more I think about it, the more I realise. That it was never. Um, some of it is about medical things, which I've actually just found out and kind of been realigning, which has been a really interesting process. But but some of it, um, you know, I, I really believe that a lot of solving the issue with obesity isn't about eating, it isn't about diet, it's about your brain. It's about it's about what your brain is telling you and what you believe and and where you think your value lies and. I think that is the thing that more than anything people need to address before they can, you know, like so many, I've seen, I've seen people who, who, this was reasonably recent, who I thought were close friends of mine, um, writing things on Facebook about, about people like really nasty fat shaming and they're they're saying you know obesity is the only thing that can be cured by getting off your fat ass going for a walk and eating an apple and I'm like no if it was that simple don't you think we'd all be doing it it's not I think that the psychological side of it is, is, needs to be unpicked before you can even begin to make any meaningful inroads into the trajectory of losing weight
0: I think yeah I believe that. yeah I think you're, you're you've hit the nail on the head there Nick because it, it's such a huge problem in our society and you know it's so um important to be able to talk openly about a subject like this and I know it's a journey that you've gone through and um, to open up yourself to be vulnerable to be open to discussion around this sort of a subject it's, it's huge for so many people I think um, people out there listening who maybe have the same problems or, they, or their loved ones do it isn't just a matter of stopping putting that cake in your mouth you know there's a whole lot more to it than, than that right. Um, recently I've been studying about nutrition as well and um, you know it's certainly been a journey for me as well my you know nutrition and it's one of the reasons I started running for miles and miles because I love my food and that was the only way to control my weight um, yeah. and I've since found out a whole lot of you know the triggers and the, the, the whole mental side yeah. of it as well yeah. as the hormonal side of it Um Absolutely. woman in their 40s for example 30s 40s uh, heading towards menopause the whole hormonal changes that we go through um, affect our weight for example yeah. Um, yeah. you know what are your thoughts around you know that sort yeah, of I, thing I, I think that I think that people
1: um, that my experience has been that 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 there is a hell of a lot of really judgmental behavior that goes on around obesity. And I think that, you know, I I was talking to a friend recently and he said to me, I sort of was rearing, I I get into arguments with people about this stuff on social media, and I posted a thing um, about a woman who, a fantastic article, because she said people will come up to her and as a compliment they'll say, have you lost weight? And, And she was making the point that actually that's quite a destructive thing to say, why don't they just say, you look fantastic? And so we're having this conversation and I said, you know, people can be really judgmental and say things quite unthinkingly that are really quite hurtful to, to people who carry a lot of weight, that they would never say to someone who was a smoker or an alcoholic or a, 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 a pot addict or any of that kind of thing. And I think that, that we need to look at obesity sometimes or look at it in, within that frame of there, there are some addictions that are way more acceptable socially but you know I think well you, you yeah, know, we've had this conversation before where when I very very first started going out like walking around the block and, the, and I literally would go and walk around the block once and that was enough I've lost count of the number of times people would yell abuse at me out of their cars mm. And it still happens to me now. You know, I'm what forty kilos lighter than I was, and it still happens to me now, where I'll go out for a run and get someone will shout fat bitch out the car window. Oh, really? And, you know, this, this is this is behaviour that, for in order for it to be happening as often as it was to me, there, there's some acceptance that this that these beliefs are okay, and I really challenge that. I, I, you know, and I used to come home and I would lie on the sofa and cry my eyes out. Now, if it happens someone yells abuse at me, I can, I can automatically, I just think, what's happened to that person in their life, that the only way they can make themselves feel better about themselves is by raining down abuse on someone they don't even know.
0: Yep, and, and this social and, attitude is, is really, yeah,
1: absolutely has to be I, changed. Yeah, there, there is a real, um, it seems to me that there's a real yeah. presumption that people who, who are overweight are not very intelligent. Um, a bit, yeah, a bit stupid and have no self-control and I, you know, I just, I look at, I look at the things that I've achieved, you know, before I changed things around in my life and it even stuns me, but I just think, you you know, people don't consider those people with any kind of empathy or understanding or, you know, there's just this judgment.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. They're
1: somehow different from, from the mainstream of people. Therefore, there's something wrong with them.
0: So they're almost treat, treated as lepers in our society.
1: Yes, absolutely. And I think it's been really shocking for me with social media, seeing seeing the way that, that people who I know and who know me, and they didn't know me before. It's never people that knew me when I was at my biggest. Quite, quite cavalierly post really nasty stuff about people because of their size. And I look at that and I think, you didn't know me then, but that's what you would have thought of me. Therefore... I did, I choose not to engage with that with those people I'll challenge it but then I just think you know they're not that's not cool that's not people I want to have around me the, the, I guess that um, one of the things I find really quite challenging with it is though had they said those things about people on account of their sexual orientation of their gender, their religion, any other thing people would have bounced them so hard and, and would have shouted them down so hard. It's it's almost like the last bastion of acceptable hatred mm. is, is to fat shame and is to is to um, really be, be allowed to say what you like that denigrates people because of their size.
0: Absolutely, that yep. shocks me. It, it's, it's, it's akin to racism or any other sort of bigotry. Yeah, I
1: mean, people say, "Oh, but you choose to be that way." <laughs> Someone doesn't choose to be whatever whatever race they are. But you know, in some ways, yes. In some ways, I. I caused this, and, and in some ways, no, it wasn't my fault. Um, and I've, I've, you know, gone into done a lot of research to the fact that my thyroid doesn't work properly, and I've got that sorted out. And there's so many different factors that that play into someone becoming obese. That really, the only thing that is going to help people is to under is that understanding and.
0: And know, that and sort of leads into this, uh, you know, the, the state of our nutrition as a society, yep. as the the way that we get our fruit and vegetables, our processed food in the supermarkets. Yep. This is where it's coming from. And, like, I've yep. worked a lot in, in schools, and one in five children is obese. And yep. one in three children now, who are born yep. now, will be uh, diabetic yep. as an adult. And, um, and a lot of that comes
1: from, you know, that... Um, food that is readily available and cheap isn't necessarily good
0: Exactly, you know, i think that
1: there's a lot of reliance on processed foods on fast foods and where people just don't have the time or the knowledge to be able to go actually i can make myself some soup or i can you know i can grow you know one of my greatest joys is that i now have a my own vegetable garden, and I can—that's way cheaper than buying it. But I think that there is just that that disconnect between production
0: and and eating. You know, you know, I think something really needs to change in that in that system that we've got. I mean, the age of our fruit and vegetables, for example, in the supermarket is over two weeks on average. Yep. Um Seventy-five percent of all our food in the supermarkets is processed food with a yep. whole lot of E numbers and <laughs> Uh, crap basically, that isn't real food in our diet. So, that makes the biggest, it's the biggest food experiment is being done on humankind right now. And now, this I, is leading to obesity, not yeah. the fact that we're lacking in willpower as, as yeah. being the, the only reason. Um, yeah. I, I think that um,
1: that going, that really taking your diet back to basics, which is something that I've done reasonably recently, makes such a difference. It if, makes. If your
0: grandmother wasn't eating it, then you shouldn't be either, someone said to me once. You didn't meet my grandmother. I mean, it is a really deep topic. I mean, things like, um, you know, sugary drinks, um, packet soups, things that you, you don't necessarily associate there's so much uh, sugar and and salt and everything and it becomes addictive and a sugar addiction, I have a sugar addiction, I freely admit that, Um, (laughs) chocolate is my friend Uh, and it is a stronger addiction they say than cocaine, I mean I can't talk from that. I've only
1: recently in the last probably six weeks gone, um, jumped on the bandwagon and gone low carb high fat and Oh, the first two weeks of no of like getting rid of sugar, and I didn't really have to take the sugary diet, but getting rid of sugar and white carbs was hell. It was hell, and I, if I gave up smoking. I don't know how many years ago. That was much easier. Well, it was much easier to give up smoking than than change from eating carbs.
0: But that, that says a lot, really, doesn't it? Because yeah. we know how addictive smoking is. And
1: yeah, but um, you know, I, I now I. So differently, and don't—it's—it's it's quite amazing, and it, it's been a really powerful change for me. Um, because really, basically, what I'm eating is, is vegetables, um, a little bit of free-range, free you know, good quality meat, eggs, and a wee bit of dairy.
0: So real food, real yes. food without chemicals added yes. And it's—it's
1: it's amazing. Like I went, I would go hiking before and take so much food with me. Go out for say three, three and a half hour high, and I'd be eating probably every half hour and just making sure that I, you know, I'd, have, I'd always have the gels or um, have dried fruit and always the sweet stuff. I went out a couple of weekends ago, did a three and a half hour hike and never ate anything. I didn't even
0: think about it because you've learnt to keep your blood sugar levels on yeah. a level sort of yeah. playing field. So yeah. the more sugar you eat the more yep. trouble you get in with your blood sugar levels going up and down and your insulin release and you have to yep. eat more basically yep. Yep. so there's a whole lot of things behind this there's psychology behind it there's, there's childhood traumas behind it There's. Yep. I read an article recently about defiance that yep. food was seen as an act of defiance for people yep. who are struggling with their, with their intake and what they're eating um, that the act of going, stuff it, I've had a hard day, I'm going to eat that chocolate bar, yep. um, was well, really an act of defiance, and I thought, that's, well, that's a new yeah, way of looking at it, yeah. rather than a lack of willpower.
1: Yeah, definitely, and oftentimes, I would be like, I've had a hard day, I deserve a treat, Yep. and that might have been um, like the chips or whatever. One of my things was always that I never ate particularly much, and I think that's this is the medical where the medical side sort of played into it. Is that you know when I was at my big, you know I would watch Doctor Phil and I'd see these people that were around the same size as me and they'd be like oh I go through drive driving at McDonald's and buy five Happy Meals and pretend they're all for my kids but I eat more myself and I'd just be like I couldn't eat that much if I tried like I, I never ate particularly much but but what I was eating I eat carbs my body just hung on to
0: yep and that's the hormonal thing so you're starting to suss that out now and work through what
1: yeah absolutely and and I you know the amount I've just got so much more energy now um to to put into you know doing the stuff I want to do which you know it's so I'm I'm training much more efficiently I'm I'm getting out there and doing it and not dragging my ass quite in such a sorry way
0: as I would have in the past so, so what would be your advice you know to, for other people out there listening to this journey that you've been on with your weight loss yep. um, where should they start because I mean for, for someone who is say 150 kilos yep. it's a hell of a it's a it's massive hard. task and I can understand the feeling of how I even bother I'm not going to yep. get there you know and, and
1: I think the thing is to make small goals Rather than going, you know, I want to lose 75 kilos, which is a long, long, long-term plan, you, you've you got to make those small goals. You've got to be like, I want to be able to walk to the shop without stopping. Or I want to be able to, um, Oh, you know, one of the best moments for me, getting in an airline seat and not having to have an extender. Wow. You know it's those little things and I think that's the way to do it is to make those small goals along the way rather than looking at that bigger picture goal which can just seem so far away and so impossible it's but and the other thing I think for me someone said to me recently oh you know congratulations for being brave enough to start and I said starting was nothing starting was easy it was keeping on getting up and getting up and getting up every single time I got knocked back that's so, the hard part it's so consistency and, yeah, you will have setbacks. There, there will always be like anything. There will always be setbacks that make you want to just lie back down on that sofa, open a packet of chips, and cry. But you, you, it's it's every time you get back up, you become more resilient. And it is about resilience and how you deal with with what life throws at you. You know, I mean, you've known me for ages. When we first met, you would never have expected that I would have done. Because I remember we met, and I was like. Why do you why do you do this? Why would any why would any sensible person want to like run any further than the bus stop in the rain? <laughs> okay. You know? So you would never have expected that I would turn around and end up doing an ultra or end up doing like massive open water swims.
0: Well, yes and no, no, because I I you know, it didn't surprise me at all really once you started to get into it. And, and yeah. because I did recognise in you stubbornness and the 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 when you set your mind to something you went and did it. I mean as a as a writer, someone who writes books, for me that was the that was the same thing. How do you sit down and write an entire book? Yeah, you know that it's the same process. And you used a couple of words there: consistency and resilience, um, yeah. which I think are an absolute key to being successful in in life in business, in sport, yeah. and business and sport and and weight loss, whatever you're doing. If yeah. you um, how do you get your head around writing a book, for example? Is it the same process that you go through? It's
1: kind of weird because it's just what I do. And <laughs> so, like, I, I was having a conversation with a friend yesterday about the process, and I was kind of like, well, I just do it. And I, and I think that that's... It's... Um, it, it has come from practice, and it has come from um, being able to marshal my skills in a way that I can now that process is quite easy for me writing a book and I don't think about it and I think that probably when I started it was much more conscious and a much more much more difficult mapped out process which I think I can kind of translate into the the stuff I do now where when I first started swimming again I was probably really found it quite difficult and I had to think about it much more and now I can just go and swim two and a half three k without even thinking about it.
0: So that's yeah. that unconscious learning principle, you know, you, you, the four stages of learning: yes. uh, unconscious, what is it? Unconscious incompetence, and then conscious. Yeah. Uh, and you get to a stage where everything becomes automatic, yes. and yes. it's yes. so whatever you're doing, and whatever challenge in life, you're having to try and get to that stage. So everything is always difficult at the start. Yes. In other words, isn't yes. it? And it, and it just
1: is about keeping on. And I, you know, I'm still at that point with my running where I still find it really hard and I still have to really force myself sometimes to go out there and do it. But I know from the other experiences that the only way I'm going to get any better at it is just to keep doing it and, and keep consistently training. And, and, and you know, I'm as bad as anybody. I'm so impatient with my run training and I'm constantly like, oh, I'm not getting any better. But then when I sit down and look at you know the times that I'm doing and the, uh, yeah I am I'm making small gains and I think that's the thing the, that's what I was just saying you've got to focus on those small those small wins that you have because that's what keeps you going from day to day you're not going to run an ultra every day you're not going to do an ocean swim every day it's those small small, small gains steps sub
0: goals step
1: and, and the worst thing for me I'm really bad at looking back and seeing where I came from because I'm always thinking about where I'm going and sometimes you just have to sit down and go, bloody hell, I've come a really long... Like, I've just had had this because, as you know, I've just um, been very, very lucky and just come back from the Samoa Swim Series. And I've, I've been to all four series. And, you know, I look back on t- the swimmer I was and the person I was when I first went there in 2012. And, twelve, you know, I've improved so much. And I've changed so much in my life um, that... If I didn't have those kind of bookmarks along the way I wouldn't necessarily stop and
0: think about that And congratulating yourself along the way Someone once said to me You know with my ultramarathon running I get to the top of a peak Or a race And then instead of going wow look what I just did I'm looking at oh but there's a taller mountain over there And I think that's that's sort of, um, you know, um, symptomatic of our society too, in a way, because we're like, we're always striving, we've got to be better, we've got to be improving, we've got to be self-improvement.
1: Every every single time I do an interview about a book, or maybe not every time, but maybe 90% of the time, they'll say, so what are you working on next? And I think, (laughs) God, I've just finished this one, give me a breath, it's just not good enough. It's like it would be like when a woman has a baby and, and they just popped it out and there's your baby and they go right so
0: when are you having another one it's so, so like, true it's like Jesus, is this one not good enough like, okay, <laughs> just give me a moment so, so that's is a, such a good an, an analogy because I mean I relate to that too the first thing that anybody says to me when they meet me is what's your next race and what well, uh, you know sometimes you just uh, want to go well nothing actually yeah, yeah, <laughs> I'm just yeah. trying to survive yeah Yeah. <laughs> give me moment Oh, I like that baby analogy, that's a good one, because people wouldn't say that to a lady who's just given birth, would they? But they do to you when you've given birth to this book or this race or whatever. Yeah, that's,
1: it's like, hang on, can we not just stop? But that's, that's our society, you know, we don't, we don't spend that time to celebrate. So often when you hear an interview, say, with an all-black captain who's just finished a game, they're pouring with sweat, they're panting, And and they're saying, so, um, next week's game against the what's going to, what? and it's kind of like, no, wait, just give them a moment to be able to celebrate what they've just achieved, and then think about
0: it. Amen, I think that's that's really, really important, and I mean, knowing you now for, what is it, eight years, nine years, whatever, we've, we've been very close friends, I've seen your entire journey, so for me, it's like, wow, you know, this is just incredible. Uh, your weight loss journey has been inspirational. Your your the amount of books that you pump out is inspirational. Okay. The way you deal with um mental illness and depression and this the this, the things that you've been through. Yeah. Um and I've seen you go through them and, and yeah. you know, you've been there with me too. Um and I think that whole journey looking back for me is just like wow this woman has to be on my show as my number one <laughs> because she's so inspirational she's she's I find
1: weird because it's just me living my life <laughs> but, I, but I guess you know I'm lucky because I'm in a position where I can talk about those things and yeah, and, you know I've always been I've been uh, well as much as I can I've been really honest about the mental health thing I think it's so important that people talk about it and I you know I do sometimes feel like people go oh god is she banging on about depression again but I'm like you know someone has to exactly. someone has to. It's, it's so important because it's one in four people has to it deals with some kind of mental illness issue throughout their life so that it's not them it's not them with the mental illness it's us it's you know one in four is a hell of a lot of people yeah
0: and the other three four out of four just haven't admitted it because (laughs) (laughs)
1: but the other three know someone are close to someone they live with someone or you know with someone or whatever who who deals with this so it's everybody it's it affects everybody's lives and not just some amorphous them over there and i think that's why i talk about it so much is because I think that the more people do, the more it just becomes a normal part of a part of life.
0: And that's why I, I think I, I respect you so much, apart from your achievements, is the fact that you are open enough to be able to share yeah. some of these stories and some of these vulnerabilities really in an open and public forum. It takes guts, and I know it takes guts, because, you know, <laughs> you helped me out mine. Um, <laughs> my <laughs> dramas along but, the way. You
1: know, I think that, I, you know, I sometimes... I was just talking to a friend this morning about this and you know I shocked myself with what I've done. You know I look back to how it all started for me, the whole fitness and, and you know getting back into swimming and running and stuff and it came from quite a dark place um, and it came from a, a friend's mother saying to me, um, it was just around the time of Auckland Marathon and she said to me, oh so are you are going to walk Auckland half with me next year? And you know I had a really strong sense That she was asking me Because she knew I'd say no And then she could be a little bit smug about it mm. And I just thought screw that And said yes And it was like all the air got sucked out of the room And then everyone laughed at me oh, and, really? And the thing with me is that if, if someone really If I really think someone thinks I can't do something I am so stubborn That I will be like Right I'll show you And that's what happened Was that I came home And literally started walking around the block and worked my way up, and I, I started, I, I did some trail runs, and I found that people didn't put, there's, there's no one driving Taranas down the road when you're on a trail run, so no one could be hanging out the window calling you a fat bitch, so I, so I you know, took to the trails more, um, and found that that was something I really enjoyed being out in the open, um, and then someone else was quite disparaging about my swimming ability, um, and, and had a conversation while I was sitting at the table, they had this conversation saying, well, you know, Nick, she, yeah, she's she's an okay swimmer. She could probably do an ocean swim race, but she'd need to train for a couple of years to do it. And I'm like sitting there. I'm thinking, what? Oh, okay. So I went home, and that night I signed up to do the 1K race at the King of the Bays, which was in about four weeks' time. I was <laughs> <laughs> so stubborn. But I didn't tell anyone. I didn't tell anyone. I just I just thought, nah, I'm going to do this because I'm sick of people underestimating me. Yeah. And, and you know, really that swim one completely reignited my love of being in the water and in the open water especially and that's that's become my you know my my happy place and my comfortable you know my saving grace sometimes i i go night swimming because again you know i would go to the beach when i first started training i go down to the beach here on the north shore in auckland and, and get abused by people, oh. you know. Oh, you fat bitch! Call cool, Greenpeace. There's a whale. Ah, ha, ha You know. Oh. And it was just. Oh, I thought. Well, actually, a lot of those times it would have been easier for me to just stay at home Absolutely, and not put myself yeah. through that. But I, I kept doing it. But what I discovered was that if I went to the beach just on just on sunset, so just on dusk, there was no people. The water was flat. It was light enough to see, and that's when I would train. And to to this day when things aren't good for me I'll be night swimming swimming and like getting in the sea at night is just the most peaceful calm place for me and I just feel like I feel so lucky that I've found that space
0: oh absolutely
1: that that you know I know when things get too noisy in my head or in my neighborhood or whatever I'll go and do that and it just helps me
0: work things out so reconnecting with nature really is, is the key point there isn't it um, it's finding yep. your special for me yep. running for you being yep. out in the ocean being and connected think, to nature
1: yeah and I, but I do think that, if, that for different people it's going to be different things you know and I think that when um, with me if I sort of sat and thought about it when I first thought right I'm going to get active again um, if I'd sat and thought, what, what? now my advice would be what were the things that you loved doing as a kid? What were the things that really, and whether that was getting out on your bike or going dancing or, um, you know, some kind of group sport activity, playing touch rugby, whatever, whatever it was that really put the lights on in your head when you're a kid, look at how you can work that back into your life now because I can guarantee you that that that's where you're going to be comfortable and where you're going to commit to staying on course because it's got to be something you enjoy. I I mean, I went to the the gym for years. I went to the gym for like, I don't know, three years and I'd go two or three times a week and, and I did it diligently. I hated it. And there was no way that that was ever going to be something that would become part of my life because I just didn't love it. And I think you need to find that thing that sparks you off.
0: Even if you're not good at it, just find whatever yep. it is that you love and then yep. work because
1: it in. Absolutely. I mean, you look at me from the first time I went to swim series, or the first couple of times I was at swim series, I got dead last. I never finished all three swims and I got dead last or second last out of however many people. This year, because I've been training, went up there and thought my goal was to... to complete all three swims, all three short course swims. So it's three swims in three days. Three. It was 2K, two and a half and a two. And that was my goal. And I kind of in my head thought, if I cannot get last, that would be really cool as well. <laughs> <laughs> and there were 40, I think 43 swimmers swam some of the 2K courses. There were 28 swimmers that swam all three of them. And I got 18.
0: Wow. So you know? Miles from the back, Nick.
1: Yeah, I've gone from being absolute shit picker out the back of the back of the pack thinking, what the hell am I doing here? To being almost in the mid pack. And it just comes down to the fact that, that it's the one thing I do that I just love. And I, it's never, I, I've even started loving pool training. No one loves pool training, that's just weird. But it's too cold to be in the sea, so you know. And, and I, I do think that that's the thing is to find, is think about that, that whatever it was that sparked you when you were a kid and, and find a way to do that
0: now. So there so you have I, it, people, with a, 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 um, a bit of advice from Nick McCloy. <laughs> 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 find your old passion and reignite it and reconnect <laughs> with nature. Yep, um, exactly. And, you know, I think that um, that's a key thing for our kids too is that we are um, way too separated from nature nowadays, or our kids are. Yeah,
1: even like just when I'm training, I I, I I never used to like road running obviously because people would abuse me, um, but what I've done now, I run around my neighbourhood, I've been living here for four years, I feel way more connected to my neighbourhood than I ever did, because when I go for a run I say hello to people and I see people have got, like when the feijoas are in season, they'll have boxes of feijoas at their front gate saying you know, help yourself, or there's always people with some kindling to get, or, and, and I see my neighbourhood completely differently, and it is just about being connected to that environment rather than just walking out to the park, getting in the car, going wherever I'm going, you know? Yeah. You know, I, I think that it, it is, it's so important to, to just spend time outdoors.
0: Nick, now I wanted to talk one more thing, because you, we, uh, you, you wrote my books, which was all about... Ultra marathon running, you helped to write those with me, um, and then you've done your own ultra marathon. So we're not talking here, marathon people. She's done those, but she's she's gone and done an ultra marathon. Yeah. The North, uh, the Naseby, sorry, Northbury's my race, Naseby uh, water I've race. i have flown
1: over the North Bern, Bern course. I'm oh, good. I'm
0: getting you there next year, mate. You're not. <laughs> you're not getting out of that one. 50k in the mountains. Yep. Yeah, I reckon you're down for that one. <laughs> get you. Get your coaching on there. Yeah, yeah. But just talk us through what it was like because <coughs> you're still. Um, you've still got a little bit of weight to lose. You've lost a massive yeah. amount, but to. Um,
1: I'm still a solid size 18. Up yeah and a solid size 18 and then possibly a little bit more at
0: times yeah. and people what do people you know like doing an ultra marathon people conjure up images of these skinny little run sort of running around and the 30 kilos which yeah. isn't true at all is it? it there are some of those ones very few and far between <laughs> be <fair> there.
1: <laughs> far between to be fair um, they go so fast i can't even see them um <laughs> But it's a real mixture of people, and I think um, for me, that's the joy of Naseby. Particularly for those of you who don't know about it, it's called the Great Naseby Water Race. And Naseby's just um, in the Maniototo, kind of um, we're just off the Central Otago Rail Trail, and my that's my home territory. My 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 dad's family there, from there, and. My great-great-grandparents are buried in the Naseby Cemetery, so it's a pretty special race for me. Mm. Um, And Naseby is just the coolest event. It's in two weeks' time, and I'm going back to do the 50 again. Woohoo! It's a a 10k course, so you're doing loops, but it's a figure eight, so you're never that far away from the the central piece, which I love, because there's always a bit of support, and you can always stop and grab food or whatever. But I think the thing about Naseby that I love is that it's not a big hyped event, and it's just people that are there because they love being there, they love the event, and they love yeah. they love just getting out and running. And um, it's it's I, mean, I, I can't even begin to explain how special it is. Aileen and Jamie, the the race directors, are just the best. They are. I know them. they
0: so fabulous.
1: Yeah, you know, you get a cuddle when you come through if they're there. You know, stop for a cuddle, and this <laughs> is always a good you know good bit of. Advice or um, just really great support.
0: So, how have you found um, trail runners in general, like as a population, as a as a sporting group?
1: Um, much like any, you know, there's a lot of talk about the trail running community and the tribe and all that. But I, you know, I think that it's like any population. There's some great people and there's some dicks, and that's just that's just how the that, how, that's like any community, isn't it? <laughs> and, and I'm like, you know, I think that you. You learn through life to to leave to bring the great people into your life, and and the dicks can just hang out over there doing their thing. I'm I'm down with that. That's cool. But you know, I think that I think probably I'm slightly biased about it. The Navy event cause it's a lot of South Islanders, and you know, we're pretty good buggers. They're a cool, cool crew. <laughs>
0: they are. no no, I.
1: You know i think probably there was a there was a little
0: bit of skepticism when i started last year whether i'd finish or not but i just kept on going and had a good time and, and oh, see i find that like you know it's quite amazing to be able to for anybody to be able to achieve a 50 kilometer run um yeah. and i beat your bottom dollar there were people who were standing on the start line with you going what the hell is she doing here
1: oh, definitely I'm sure they were. And they, they were
0: eating take- their words, weren't they, by the time you got yeah, free?
1: Yeah, but, but no one said that to me. No one, no, everyone was just kind of like, oh yeah. And I think a lot of the people that were there that knew me, knew, knew that I'd just carry on. But, I, you know, I, I, I don't know, I have a real thing about, um, there's this weird thing that, that I find, and I guess like more with road races, although it has crept into some trail running lately, People who see me, and I'll be finishing, or i am out there, and they'll have finished or they'll support us standing on the side of the road, and they'll, they'll do what I call the backfield clap, <laughs> and they'll be like, oh, good on you, just giving it a go, and I just, I just think, you have no idea, you just, you just carry on leaning on that barrier, smoking your cigarette, put your paper under your arm, or, you know, like, you just carry on with that, you can just... But don't patronise me, please. Because I would take you over 50K road. Oh, I I had, I did have a phase where some of my friends were like, "You should," like that. I needed to be just wearing my medal all the time and just go up to people and go look.
0: <laughs> yeah, stick that up your jumper.
1: Exactly, exactly. <laughs> but, but that you know, again, that, and that's about perceptions of people because of that. They, they have that perception of me because of my size. And I'm, you know, I remember um, finishing what was it, ten k, ten k rotorua, I think. And they were all, you know, people were, yeah, people, oh, good on you, good on you. And I was just like, I'm, I'm only doing this because I was kind of bored waiting for everybody else. You know, it's, it was just not
0: piece of cake, crazy. really. Isn't it? Yeah,
1: exactly. Yes, I'm slow. Yes, I, I probably look kind of ungainly, but I, you know, going and doing a ten k is not really a biggie for me.
0: No That's
1: but a little people, wee race You know people treat me And, and I've had, You know I, I do When people sort of say Oh well at least you're out here Having a go And I just think you That someone who's got no idea What it is To really push your body To the absolute limits Of your ability To, to be able to achieve a goal exactly. They've just got no concept Of what that is like I know what that's like You know what that's like But they But in order For them to be comfortable with being so patronising, it's clear that they just don't understand what that process is of just pushing yourself to your absolute limit. Yeah, no
0: matter what that limit is and whether it is a 1K or a 100K. Absolutely. I remember coming back from Badwater at the Death Valley race and someone looked at my footage and they said to me, doesn't look very athletic.
1: (laughs) that's
0: it like I nearly punched them to be honest (laughs) I was like you have no idea what I went through how hard it is what I've just done yeah and you couldn't run around a tree so who the heck are you that's it and I think I think
1: that I've I've learned to not respond to that yeah I've, I've learned to kind of just go you know what that's their stuff it's nothing to do with me it's, it's about what their perception is. And I think that's part of why I do what I do, is that I enjoy challenging those perceptions. Mm. I enjoy you know, people kind of looking at me going, what the hell is she doing here? And then, you know, them seeing later on that actually, you know. So
0: you've used that fire as an external motivator. When I'm coaching them, I was talking to my athletes about Using external motivating forces and for that can be negative or positive. Yep. That can be people saying to you, You can't do something. If someone yep. says to you you can't do something, yep. use that fire.
1: And that's I mean that's totally me. I and mean, that's how I started doing what I do. People, people thinking that I couldn't or, or saying that I couldn't. Um and, and I I do. I kind of go I keep that bit between my teeth and I just go, Right, screw you, I'm gonna show you. Yeah. Um but equally I think um, and, and yeah, sometimes those, those kind of negative things I, I do try and turn around and, and make them fire me up a bit more
0: um, Yeah, They help you pull out the stops, don't they? You know, yeah. when, you, when you're really on the bones of your bum In the middle of a race or something And you're thinking, oh, why don't I just give up? But then you yeah. think, no, because so-and-so said oh. I wouldn't make it So what am I going to do? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fight I'm going to yeah. learn to fight I'm going to learn to struggle through yeah. this
1: I, I have a thing where I, yeah, a couple of times where I've thought there's a couple of people and I'll just think of this smug face and they find out I pulled out and that, that will be enough to spur me on to, to finish. But like Naseby last year, one of the things I found really good was that I got a Sharpie pen, a black Sharpie, and some of my friends had sent me these really cool messages. And so I just wrote them on my arms, like really, like my friend Joe um who I think everyone thought she had been quite mean to me, but she just she wrote on my Facebook, um, "Keep going, you stubborn bitch." <laughs> <laughs> just,
0: and that like, was in a positive uh, yeah. Because
1: like I, I knew the context of it, I knew where it was coming from. It so yeah. I had that written on my arm, and, and then her name, and I so I had all these comments, you know, all this supportive the people who believed in me. I, so I carried those comments with them with me on my arm. So I could, if I was flagging a little bit, I would just look at my arm and think, these people think I can do it. Even if I don't think I can do it, they think I can. So that's enough.
0: So these external motivating factors that are positive and ones that are negative and both you can yep. use to fire yep. you on to okay. the finish line. But I
1: think you, you need to get yourself into a mental space where you're able to do that. And it's taken me quite a long time to to be able to not take on board other people's negative stuff. And I think that's one of the biggest lessons on this journey is is just not it's just not to carry that negative stuff with you unless it is fe- adding fuel to your fire, unless it's fueling you and making you go. Then you've got to just let that stuff go because you just it's like bricks in your pockets.
0: Sure is. So how do you like you have now at the age of forty four and in the confidence that is has, is born of adversity is born yes. of the struggle um do you feel really comfortable in yourself now as a 44 yeah, year old yeah,
1: i finally do i finally do and i think i only really realized that last week up in samoa where i just was completely comfortable and i was you know happily walk up to people and talk to them who i didn't know but we were there doing the same thing, so I figured we had something in common, I'd find something to talk about, you know, that sort of thing. I was, And I've always been cripplingly shy, even though I'm out there talking about all this stuff. One-on-one, I find it really difficult, I mean, and I am really shy, but I think I have kind of got this confidence now and, and kind of um, am, am way more comfortable in my skin, way more comfortable with who I am and where I fit in the world. And I think that has come from being able to take on these challenges and and not, I think the thing for me was that I, before fear was always the thing that dictated everything I did mm-hmm. and I would I would go through 50,000 scenarios of what could go wrong before I would do anything and I think from doing that, that first Auckland half or particularly the very first ocean swim I did, that 1k at the King of the Base, the conditions were terrible, it was like swimming in a washing machine. I remember sitting on the beach in Takatuna, and this would have been 2012, and looking out to the cans and thinking, there's no way I can get out there. And I thought, no, I'm not going to do this. I'm not doing this swim. I'm just going to go home. And then I could see myself lying on the sofa, feeling terrible. And I just thought, you're not that person anymore. You're not quitting this. And even if you get in the water and you can't make it out to that first can and they have to put you in a boat, you'll you have tried and you know. And so I went out, and I did it, and I swam the whole thing. And
0: So you know, what, is your, what is your your technique then, on, on failure, you know? Uh, risk-taking, swam, taking good. those risks.
1: Oh, totally. I've had, I've had a couple of pretty brutal DNFs in the water, uh, and I've had one in a, in a, in a trail marathon. Um, you, you know, I think you have learned so much from, from not finishing a race. So a DNF I for that,
0: those who aren't um, au okay fait with our that. lingo? Did not finish. Did not finish?
1: Yeah, so t- twice i have been pulled out of the water for not making the cut-off times in swims. And and once I I voluntarily um, quit a race because my feet were like cat food, basically. Mm. My feet had got really cut up. Um, and, you know, I think the thing with that is that I've, I'm always happy to, to not finish an event if I know that I have left nothing out there. If, I've, if there's nothing in the tank and I have given it everything I've got and I can't finish, I'm fine with
0: that. See, that's another gem from Nick McCloy, people. If you've <laughs> left everything out there, if you've pushed the limits and you haven't made it, you're not a failure because no. failing is sitting on the couch, it's going home, it's given up, it's not yep. starting, it's not taking the risks.
1: Yeah, I've I've never had... I've None of those, those not finishing affected my confidence whatsoever. I think I learned a hell of a lot about my preparation, about... My, my race strategies, particularly in the swims, um, and, and I learned where I, with where there were things, particularly with swimming, there were elements that I needed to work on in order to make those kind of cut-offs, and, and I took that away rather than you're, you're just not good at this, you shouldn't do it anymore. It was just like, okay, what can I take away from this that I can work on to make sure that I make those cut-offs next
0: time? So that's turning around that failure, um, and I've failed on many occasions, yeah. Um, it's turning I mean, it from that devastation which of yeah. course you feel in the yep. moment and that's yep. okay yep. but turning but, it around as quickly as possible
1: yep, absolutely and, 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 and I think that that is much easier to do when you know that there was just nothing left in the tank that you've done everything humanly possible to finish but you just couldn't and that's, you know, that's just how, how life is sometimes but so long as you take lessons from it and you don't let it, you don't let it derail you you don't let it make you think that you're not good at what you or you're not good enough then you know I think that there's a massive lesson
0: in it yeah because I think a lot of people just don't take that risk because they could yep. fail and then they actually miss out on all that development on all oh. that growth on yep. the lifting up of their horizons so that yep. it's expanded and all that type of thing um, that's that's,
1: yeah absolutely I think I, I look back to that moment where I decided I was going to get in the water that day at the king of the bays and I think if I had come home that day, I wouldn't have done any of what I've done. Right. And I, you know, to be honest, I don't even know if I'd still be alive.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: But and I, that I, is like, the
0: power I'm of, of too, right? of sport, of uh, these type of experiences. Yeah. When you say not be alive, you know, that's obviously depression, suicide, that type of thing is another thing that. Yeah,
1: but also, also, my health was just so poor. My health was just, I was so. Yes, yeah. so
0: massive.
1: That, you know, and yep. I think had I had I not taken that chance that day, and and that's the thing is that, you, that we become very risk averse. You know, I think that just life in general makes us as risk. A, we we learn yeah. to really risk averse, and I think it's really important to be able to to be. I think that the key is to be able to to delineate between good risk and bad risk. And I was saying to someone yesterday, because I asked her to do something, and she was she was like, I'm scared. And I'm like, is it good scared or bad scared? Because if it's good scared, you should do it. If it's bad scared, there's a reason for it, and you need to think about it.
0: So it's and calculating just, those risks, being prepared, uh, minimizing yes. them, but still taking them.
1: Yep, absolutely. It's, it's those those manageable, those risks where, you know, realistically, what would have been the worst thing that could have happened in that 1K race? I wouldn't have made the first can. I got taken in on a boat, but it wouldn't have killed me, you know. But the best thing that happened was that I finished and I suddenly realised that fear didn't have to dictate everything I do and that I could set myself goals that I didn't think I could achieve and go out there and do it.
0: Well, that's probably a good place to leave it for today, Nick. Look, um, you've covered off so many topics in this one hour that we've been chatting away, you know, from failure to, to success, to motivation, persistence, consistency, prejudice against people who are... Uh, overweight um, the, our food we've, we've discussed God in the world pretty much today um, so I'd like to really thank you for sharing openly your story with the people out there who are listening and you know wish you can well on your continued journey because uh, you are an inspirational person um, people if you want to take a leaf out at of at Nick's book if you're struggling with some of the issues that Nick's uh, outlined in this last hour just take that first step and just keep going you've got any last words there nick that you want to share i
1: think that's it it's take that first step and yeah there'll be trials along the way but make those little goals count and you'll be and you know you you'll never know what you can achieve unless you try
0: oh that's brilliant and
1: you'll amaze yourself i could guarantee it
0: you will amaze yourself and you're amazing thanks very much nick for talking to us today Um, We wish you well on your next uh, big race, 50Ks. Your second ultra. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, mate. Cheers. You've been listening to Pushing the Limits, brought to you by Running Hot Coaching, your online health and fitness coaching platform. For more information, visit us at www.runninghotcoaching.com.